Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. It's going to be a great show, just like I plan every day for you. Whitney Capps is going to be joining me in just a minute. can hardly wait to talk to her again. Um, and then uh, Hugh Welchel from the Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics will be joining me. And then in hour two, we've got A.J. Swoboda, and he's a delight as well. And I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with him. And then Jerry Lindemann is going to be joining me. So it's going to be a really a great couple of hours, and I'm glad you're here with me, and I'm glad we've got this time together. So I stopped at one of those little fruit stands today and got three Colorado peaches, and I thought, well, I'll have one. And then I ate all three of them. And I'm going back to the stand later tonight for more, and if they don't have any more available there, I'll be driving to Colorado to get some because that's how committed I am to these peaches. Anyway... Uh, let me take a little break and then we'll get Whitney on. Can't wait to chat with her. She's written a book called Sick of Me. And uh, we're going to talk about how God wants us to, uh, you know, we can come to Jesus just as we are, but then we can't stay that way. And we're going to talk about how to do that. Be back in a minute. The mission of Faith Radio is to lead people to Christ and nurture them in their faith through Christ-centered media. In all that we do and the programs we air, we want to lift up Jesus and make Him known. It's your prayer and financial support that equip us to make this mission possible. Thank you again for your ongoing support and investment in our ministry. To make a gift today, you can call 877-93-FAITH. That's 877-93-FAITH. Start your day with good news from God's Word every day by signing up for the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. You'll be uplifted and encouraged when you text the word VERSE to 555-888 and start receiving daily scripture verses. That's VERSE to 555-888. Or have it delivered as an email by going to MyFaithRadio.com and clicking on Verse of the Day under the Subscriptions tab. Keep growing your faith with the Faith Radio Verse of the Day. Whitney Caps is a national speaker for Proverbs 31 Ministries, and she's a writer for the new Bible app, First Five, reaching more than a million people every day. Uh, she loves God's Word, and she is married to Chad, and they have four sons, so her house is busy. So whenever I get a chance to uh, get her on the phone for 20 minutes, I get excited. Whitney, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Bill. It's great to talk with you. And I have to tell you, you might be a little bit jealous, but I'm actually making a peach cobbler here in about 30 <laughs> minutes when we get off the phone. Now, mine are Georgia peaches, not Colorado, but if you can make it down, I'll have you some hot peach cobbler oh, later. Oh, that, that sounds so good. 
You know, it's just it's that time of year where these peaches are just so oh, good. Oh, 100%. They are the best. I actually I buy um, just a huge bushel of them and cut them up and um, freeze them so that I can have cobblers throughout the season once the peaches are gone because they are that good. So yeah. I empathize a lot with your predicament. Here's hoping that they still have some for you tonight. Uh, they better. Well, trust yes. me, I'm driving to Colorado if they don't. Or I'm driving to your house. You live in Atlanta, don't you? Don't you live in Georgia? I do. I live just outside Atlanta, and we've got our small group coming over to the house tonight. And so in just a few hours, we will have um, about five five couples and then all of their kiddos invading. And so we all do dessert and coffee. And tonight it is peach cobbler. So, yeah, if you can make it, it'll be hot and ready. What are you doing talking to me? <laughs> Listen, it's a regular standing date with our small group, and so um, they kind of get us just as we are. And so, no pressure. Um, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty accustomed to hanging out on the spur of the moment. So, yeah. I love that I get the chance to talk with oh, you. So, good. anytime you make time for me, I am game. Good. Now, does the, this activity you've got planned tonight? Does this cause stress in your life? I mean, you've got four kids making a lot of noise in the house and creating a lot of mess because that's what that's boys right. do, right? But I do. I've got four boys, and um, my oldest actually will be 14 on Friday. Okay. Um, and so my crew will be here, but all of our friends bring their kids too. And I will tell you, um, it is one of the great joys of my life to do small group with these people every week. We do it um, every Wednesday night. We've been doing it for um, the better part of 15 years. And so our kids are growing up together, and um, they know me authentically and that's taken a lot of time and a lot of work but um it is such nourishment for my soul and so life is crazy and busy and our house is loud and wild for a couple of hours but it's totally worth it it yeah. really is totally worth it and i love that you're um uh doing the ministry that you you're doing and you are uh your book is sick of me which is from transparency to transformation I know it's a big help for a lot of people because we are living in a world filled with facades where right. we have to always present our very best version of ourselves, That's which right. may not be really who we are, but we got to keep presenting that imposter to the world so people will like us. That's right. And listen, it's kind of weird. Um, in some ways, we would think that social media would provide us the opportunity to be more authentic than ever. But all of the filters and all of the editing, I think, has have actually produced the opposite, where we are more curated, we're more protected, and we're more kind of removed from one another. And we bought into this idea that we can have digital relationships and friendships with the swipe of a thumb or the press of a like button. And so it is. It's really hard hard to force ourselves out of those digital habits and look somebody in the eyeballs and have good conversation and sometimes really hard conversations. But I can say just for me personally, and, and listen, it's, it's hard. It's not always easy, uh, but it is for sure one of the ways that um, the Lord uses to sanctify me and make me more like himself. Mm-hmm. So Whitney, let's talk about spiritual growth because those are two big words side by side. And what does it mean? And what does it mean to you? What does spiritual growth mean? And how do we get it? Absolutely. Well, one of the things we talk about in the book is really just kind of trying to demystify this concept of sanctification, which is the church word for spiritual growth. And it's simply the idea that I should live and look and love more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today. And it's a progression. And so I think a lot of us kind of want to wake up and make these monumental leaps forward spiritually, but really it's incremental growth that happens a little bit day by day by day. And so that's what spiritual growth looks like to me. The hard part is, and this is what I wrestled through in the book, 
understanding that spiritual my spiritual growth isn't merely about doing, but it really is in large part who I am becoming, who I'm being. And I'm a girl who's really good at checking off my to-do list and doing all the things that, you know, I've learned to do, that the church has equipped me to do, but sometimes ignoring is all of that work, all of that doing, changing who I'm being? Am I more patient with my kids? Am I more um, tender with my husband? Do I guard my tongue more cautiously? Is my thought life more representative of the holiness that Christ wants to develop in me? And I realized that I was kind of ignoring that part of my spiritual growth, what Jesus wants to do inside of me. Not merely am I checking off things off of a to-do list. And so it was, I I won't lie, it was kind of a hard realization to go, man, I need to sit with this process and not just accumulate completed Bible study workbooks or show up for another committee at church, but actually be made more like Jesus in how I live and how I love and how I look to my friends and neighbors. So, Whitney, let's uh, talk about our junk, the junk we have that we hang on to. (laughs) I'm not talking about stuff in the closet. I'm talking about, you know, the emotional baggage, the stuff where we feel like uh, maybe I'm feeling really sorry for myself. And, you know, that stuff can keep us stuck, can it? Absolutely. Don't don't we get sick of ourselves, like you say? (laughs) Man, I sure did. I hope I'm not the only one with junk. But I did discover that this junk, I was just kind of really, really sick um, what The way I defined it in the book is I realized that I was making the same spiritual goals over and over and over again, the same resolutions. I was struggling with the same sins and the same thought patterns and the same kind of slippery slopes of self. And I was frustrated that that junk kept creeping back up in my life. Um, and so one of the things that I discovered, at least in my own life personally, was that I had not been acknowledging the specific sins, the very specific things that were tripping me up. And I can be a girl who can kind of lean into grace, and I'm so grateful for the grace of Jesus, but I also need to not abuse that grace by ignoring the sins that I kind of want to sweep under the rug or ask forgiveness for in a really general kind of way. And so in my own personal life, I would ask God to forgive me of my sin, but rarely did I say, hey, Lord, I know that I gossip today with my girlfriends, and I know that that displeases you, and that is not a mark of spiritual growth. It doesn't show that I look more like Jesus. And so the next time I'm out with my girlfriends, I want you to convict me if my conversations do not honor you. And that's really different than the way I had been dealing with my junk before. So to kind of use that analogy, I've been shoving it in a junk drawer, but I wasn't cleaning it out. I wasn't, I was just kind of hoarding the junk rather than, than dealing with it. And so Part of this process for me was getting really honest about what those sins were, naming them, and then asking the Holy Spirit to genuinely convict, excuse me, convict me of the sins in a way that meant, you know what, I'm really ready to change. Not just acknowledge them, not just feel bad about them, but actually let the Holy Spirit change me and make me more like Christ. So, Whitney, is there a way to be constructive with transparency? Because sometimes people can be really transparent, but they're all they're doing is just repeating their problems over and over. They're not right. doing anything about them. One hundred percent. And I listen. I I call that the transparency trap. Okay. And what it looks like. And I can just say we experience this in our small group. So. I'm right here, chief of sinners. Okay. But regularly, I could show up on a Wednesday night and be like, you guys, I did it again. Um, I, I, I didn't study my Bible like I said I was going to. And let me just say, I was on Instagram a whole lot, so it's not like I didn't have time. And 
I, I just, I, you know, I'm just, I'm frustrated and, and I'm just really sorry that I just wanted to confess that to you guys. Well, inevitably, one of my girlfriends who loves me a lot and loves Jesus a whole lot will say, oh, wit, listen, this is a grace place. Listen, don't feel bad about that. We've all been there. You need to walk in grace and just um, be forgiven of that. And sometimes I wonder if the Holy Spirit looks at our small group conversation, or maybe if for you it's having coffee with a friend or in another context, and he goes, no, 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 no. Don't let her off the hook. This is a part of the work that I'm doing, and that what she's feeling, that sense of discouragement and shame, is actually conviction. And I want to change that in a way that makes her better and makes her more sanctified. And so it can't be merely owning my brokenness. It has to be communicated with a desire to actually be better. And I think we need community to help us not just get caught in that transparency trap. Because sometimes I can show up and I can confess, and that's cathartic. It feels good. But listen, confession is easy. Change is hard. And that's really where we want to live, is walking out and pursuing that change. Now, we don't change ourselves, so I'm not saying that. But what are the things that I do that pursue change and that position me in a place where Jesus can actually make me better and make me look more like him? So I need to go to break here in a minute, but am I hearing that your accountability people maybe shouldn't let you off the hook too quickly? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that for sure. Yeah, because it's, it's true, but it's not easy. Yeah, all right. Whitney Caps is my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more with Whit. I have Whitney Caps on our studio line. She's written a book called Sick of Me, and we're chatting about uh, how we go from confession to a point of conviction and change, because that's the hard part, isn't it, Whit? Conviction and change. Man, I think it is, because here's the thing. I I am becoming better, so I, I think it's a muscle and a skill that we have to develop. I am becoming better at being broken and authentic with people who are safe and love Jesus and have a common goal Um, like I do, of wanting to be more like him, where I found that I was getting stuck in what I called the transparency trap was I would sometimes find that I was confessing to them, and it felt good, I felt better, but I wasn't actually becoming better. And so it's trying to figure out what does that process look like, and what are those pitfalls, what are those transparency traps that I need to avoid so that the Holy Spirit can not just begin the work of conviction, but complete the work of changing me and moving me more towards sanctification. Mm-hmm. Now, Whit, I know your your book really serves women in particular, um, but I also know that you you know you speak such great biblical truth that applies to everybody. So. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about the, the Bible study companion, We Over Me, and how that works together with Sick of Me. Sure. Well, Sick of Me deals with the doctrine of sanctification really kind of in an individual context and maybe with a really small group. We Over Me looks at the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, but within the corporate context of the church. And we look at the seven letters to the church and Revelation and what Jesus' final words, if you look at the whole wealth of Scripture, those seven letters are Jesus' last 
sermons, if you will, to his people. We're going to see some red letters toward the end of Revelation, but these are really his last sermons to his people. And so I think it's really interesting that these words are what Jesus wanted to be his final commentary for his people, and there's a lot of insight in there. It's kind of what our marching orders are to look like as we live with an urgent passion for the gospel, which is the call of Revelation, right? In Mm -hmm. the middle of the imagery and the symbolism and all of the timelines which we could debate and discuss, the central theme is that the church is called to live with an urgency for the gospel in light of the coming judgment. And so how does the church do that? And I wrote this study, if I'm honest with you, and this is not something that I like to share a whole lot because I'm kind of embarrassed. I was in a really hard season with the church. And so um, I know and believe that the church is the bride of Christ. But, man, I had experienced the church as a bridezilla. And I imagine a lot of your listeners have, too, because we don't always get the best version of the church. She is broken and she is messy. And so I was writing it from a place where, if I'm honest with you, I kind of wanted to bail on the bride. Um, And what I discovered when I went to the letters to the churches in Revelation is that Jesus sees the bride for who she is, but he is not content to leave her that way. And Jesus desperately loves the bride. He is fully committed to her. And so I hear people say, and I've wrestled with it too, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Well, that's theologically irresponsible. And you you can't have Jesus and not have the church. And so if it is theologically true that the church is Jesus's plan for the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom, man, I want to love her well. I want to serve her well. And I want to understand what that relationship looks like in the context of congregational living. So that's what We Over Me is. And I think anybody who maybe is just now coming to the church or has been in the church a long time would read it and maybe find some hope and encouragement. If they've ever been, I said, you know, if, if the church and I had a relationship status like on Facebook, yeah. it would probably say complicated. And so if anybody has ever felt that way about the church, I think that study would maybe kind of help a little bit. Okay, give me the uh, the Whitney Caps uh, version of these words. I'm going to name a word. I'm going to say it, throw out a word, and you respond to it. Okay, perfect. All right. How about the word vulnerability? Vulnerability. I think that's talking about the thing that Jesus is doing in your life, good or good, like um, whether you're being successful and it's good fruit, or whether you're struggling and you need help and accountability. I think we can see vulnerability in both places. And we should be people who will say, hey, I'm struggling, I need prayer, I need accountability. But I think we also should be people who will say, hey, vulnerably, listen to what Jesus is doing in my life and how he's changing me, and I'm becoming better. Because that's the goal, right? Is that we would be people who would say, you guys, the gospel actually works. And I have to say, I think that's the piece that we're missing. I think that's why we're not seeing revival in America today is because we don't have enough Christians going, hey, I'm not perfect, but because of the gospel, I'm better than I was. And the gospel actually works. And we should lead with that story, shouldn't we? What Jesus is doing in our life, right? Gosh, I I think that would be such a powerful way. Listen, um, I'm a part of our church leadership team, and we're constantly trying to figure out, you know, how do we reach people? How do we market? How do we talk about this? And I, I, I said in a meeting not long ago, I think if we got enough church people talking about what Jesus is doing in their lives to make them better, 
All of a sudden, our issues of how to grow our churches and how to win people for Jesus, I think they go away because we can live out the evidence that the gospel, what Jesus died for, it actually works. It's legit. It's real. And I'm not just broken and damaged, which is for sure true, but I am also better because of Jesus. Yeah, it's just thrilling when you hear what Jesus is doing in someone's life. Right. Yeah. All right. How about the word accessibility? Accessibility. Yes. That's that part of vulnerability where we want people to see, I am not perfect. So this version of spirituality that you see me living out, it's not reserved for people on a pedestal or people with a perfect background or resume. It is accessible. And so it's available to everybody. And so I want to live a life that says, listen, there's nothing special about me, but there is something really special about my Savior. I think that's what accessibility is. Love it. All right. How about the word honesty? Mm, That's a great one. I read a quote uh, when I was doing research for the book, and I could never pin down exactly who said it. So if one of your listeners says, that was mine, they need to let us know. But I heard that we should have honesty with everyone and then um, transparency with a few and intimacy with only a couple. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that even if I'm not sharing with you my deepest, darkest secrets, I should still be honest in who I am with everybody so that there's not facade, there's not pretension, there's not this sense of being fake. And so anybody who knows me feels like they know Whitney, even if we aren't intimately connected. And so even if there are only a few people, and I do think that's wise, I think there are only a few people that we invite into that close space where they get to say hard truth to us. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's for everybody, but I do think we should be honest with everybody. Okay. Now in the age of you know, self-promotion and look at me and like me on Facebook. Let's go to the word humility. Ah, that's a good one. Um, Well, one, man, don't we see a ton of false humility um, and kind of the humble brag and all of that. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's a difficult one for us to kind of wrap our brain around. And I think humility at its core and at its essence can look different for everybody, but at least what I've been wrestling through in my own life is humility should be rooted in a desire as much as I can and as honestly as I can to say my desire is to make Jesus famous. Because here's what I struggle with. Let me just kind of make it personal. Like it's really hard for me to talk about my book because I'm afraid people are going to think I'm proud of myself. And I keep thinking, but in my heart, do I want people to be impressed with me? And I can tell you, As much as it depends on me, I can say I don't want people to be impressed with me. It's why I'm happy to tell you all of the ways that I've messed up and all of my damage. But I do want people to be impressed with my Jesus. Mm. And so I I don't know that it looks the same for everybody, but I think I have to know in my heart of hearts that what I'm putting out on social media, what I'm talking about, what I'm sharing with a friend is because my desire is to make much of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Wait, it's been just a delight having you on the show. I have to ask you, what uh, flavor ice cream goes with peach cobbler tonight? Hey, listen, we are having good old-fashioned vanilla. So if you can get here in two hours, we'll have it spooned up for you. I am chartering a plane as we speak. Sounds uh, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for doing the show uh, and making time for me and my listeners. It's always nice to hear from you. Good to be with you, Bill. Y'all have a great afternoon. Thanks so much. Whitney Caps has been my guest. Her book is called Sick of Me, From Transparency to Transformation. Absolutely a delight. We'll take a little break and we come back. Hugh Welchel from the Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics will be joining me. We're going to talk about uh, careers and the way God wants us to be excited about what we're doing. We'll take a short break and be back. 
I know that God cares deeply about who we are, but I know he cares too about what we do and how we serve him. And I hope every day when you get up and if you have a job and you feel grateful for it, that you also treat each day of work as an act of worship to him because that is the best way to bring glory to his name. And hopefully you'll then enjoy your job uh, more than you would otherwise. Uh, my uh, guest on the program uh, is Hugh Walchel. He's the executive director of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics, and he's the author of How Then Shall We Work? Rediscovering the Biblical Doctrine of Work. He has a Master's of Arts in Religion and brings over 30 years of diverse uh, business experience to his leadership at the Institute. And he's always a complete delight to listen to. He's a uh, car buff, and we have a lot in common. Hugh, welcome back to the show. It's great to be with you again, Bill. Thank you for having me. Of course. Are you uh, working on a car right now, restoring anything, or... Just admiring well, others. Admiring others. I have one I need to restore, but I need to build a garage first. <laughs> I, I, yeah. built a house. I built the house several years ago, and I haven't got around to building the garage yet, so that's well, high on my list. Well, it's because you did things backwards. You should have built the garage first and then the house. <laughs> yeah, tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. Now, a lot of us, um, I've had a, many conversations with friends lately, and they're kind of saying, huh, I'm at this stage of life, what's next? Um and I know that you wrote a blog recently that, you know, your calling is more than a job or a career, yet we're so uh, busy identifying ourselves by our, our career. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, one of the things we talk to a lot of people about, particularly people like you're mentioning that are kind of uh, deciding what's next in my career, um, they have this tendency to believe that calling is about a job. And, and part of that is because we hear pastors sometimes say, I was called into the ministry. So then we, we kind of associate this idea of calling with just a single job. But that's too far. It's too narrow a definition. Really, the way God looks at calling is it's the way he's prepared you to live a life for him, bringing about flourishing no matter where he puts you in any given time in your life. I, yeah, exactly. Now, there was a, a Barna Group uh, survey, I think, that said 75% of U.S. adults say they are looking for ways to live a more meaningful life. And only right. 40% of practicing Christians uh, said that they have a clear sense of God's calling on their lives. That's got to be yeah. frustrating for a lot of people. It, it's very frustrating. And, and what happens is most Christians go through their workday really not understanding that God really cares too much about what they're doing. I think one of the big problems in the church today, I call it the secular spiritual divide, it's that so many people believe that some things in their life are spiritual, that God really cares about it. Other things in their life are kind of secular, which doesn't mean they're bad things. It just means that they're things or areas where, where God just doesn't really care. And a lot of people put their vocational work into that, that arena. Now, they might say, well— it makes has some vague sense that God's called them to this type of work to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or you know or a mechanic or whatever, whatever it might be. But but when you really drill down and you really ask them difficult questions, they have no real sense as they go through their work day to day that has any meaning whatsoever for God. And then one of the problems we we have is a lot of people think, well, the only thing my work is really good for is a platform to to witness to the gospel. And, and certainly, don't get me wrong, certainly it is a platform to worship, I mean, to witness the gospel, to share your faith with other people. But so is a trip to the grocery store. I mean, we're supposed to be doing that all the time. So what people really don't understand is that there's intrinsic 
value to God in the work you do, no matter how mundane it might be. So, Hugh, I mean, I think what you're saying is you're what your calling is and what your calling isn't. I mean, what your calling is is that going to the grocery store is an opportunity to to share your faith in Christ and that we shouldn't be compartmentalizing our lives and saying, well, this is the work part of my life and God isn't necessarily there with me on the job. But when I go to church or when I go play softball on Tuesday nights, that's when I get a chance to be more open with my faith. Yeah, I need you to come write blogs for me. That's exactly what we're trying to say. Because really, everything matters to God. When, when the Apostle Paul says, whether you, he says this to the Corinthians, whether you eat or you drink, to the most mundane things that we all do every day, he says, whether you eat or you drink, do everything to the glory of God. And so you really have to understand that when he says everything, he means everything. And we have to begin to think about our lives that way. I was on a radio show all oh, a year or so ago now, and was talking to somebody about this, and, and, they, and they said, well, that makes sense. I said, for example— I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm going to spend about four and a half hours in a very spiritual activity. And he, said, he said, what's that? And I said, I'm going to watch the NCAA National Championship football game. And there was a long pause. <laughs> because although he agreed with me, he couldn't quite wrap his head around how watching a football game could be a spiritual activity. But if everything is spiritual, if we, if we look at everything is spiritual, we have to do that. See, God cares about everything in our life. He cares about our recreation. He cares about our work. He cares about our relationships with other people. So, so the fact that he cares about my recreation, he knows I need, I need time to recreate, time to relax. And, uh, and so, so really, that's part of, of kind of the totality of my life, and all my life is under the, the lordship of Christ. So that's important. Now, here's the problem. If you really get serious about this, you have to begin to think, well, maybe I'm doing a little bit too much recreation, right? Maybe I don't need to watch seven football games every weekend. And I'll be honest with you, that happened to me. I started really getting serious about my recreation and really putting that under the Lordship of Christ. And, and I watch a lot less football than I used to. Now, I still love football, and I still watch it. But because I've had to think through how, do I, how much recreation do I really need, and then how do I prioritize that time? to do other things like being with my family or, 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 you know, or studying God's Word or whatever it might be. And Hugh, wouldn't you say that recreation, of course, you don't want it to be out of proportion in your life, but isn't recreation part of the key to uh, connecting with others? There might be a guy at work who's an atheist who also just happens to love NCAA football. And all of a sudden right. you come right. along and you can converse with him pretty freely about a game that he's kind of interested in. And that's I hate exactly to say right. it, but you're building what's what is it called? Huh? A friendship with him. That's right. That's right. You're building that relationship with someone, and, and really, that's what it's all about today. If we want really want to be true witnesses to Christ in everything we do, we have to live in relationship with other people, and they have to begin to to trust us. They have to begin to uh, realize that we're just like them in a lot of ways, but in other ways, we do things a little differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, that's the real key, particularly at work, uh, to, to being a, a really a strong witness of Christ. Because once you begin to understand that everything you're called to do in work, even the most mundane things, filling out forms, whatever, whatever it is, the most mundane thing you have to do at work, you know, we're called to do that with excellence. I mean, God wants to do, us to do everything like we're doing it for him. It's another thing Paul tells us. 
you know, we're not working for the guy in the corner office. We're working for, for him. So when we begin to take that attitude, it changes the way we work. And, and people notice that. People notice that. You know, we don't, we don't slip out and go home early when the boss is on vacation. Or we don't, uh, you, know, you know, we don't hit, uh, you know, fudge things on, on our expense reports. You know, people will notice how you work and how you act at work. And it's incredibly important to live honest and lives of integrity. See, this is one of the real problems in the workplace today is that I think many Christians have gone out into the workplace to just work like everybody else. And they didn't worry about living a virtuous life in the workplace. I and mean, maybe they won't try not to steal or not, you know, some of these other things. But really, we have been uh, possibly, if we Christians are the guardian of virtue, maybe we've guarded it too closely because what's happened is Virtue is slowly kind of leaked away from business, and a lot of the problems you see in the business world today are because there is no virtue. Let me give you a perfect example. Um, everybody's screaming for integrity and, and, and transparency, and they talk like integrity and transparency are the same. In fact, you hear a lot of people talking about transparency these days, and, and, it, and, and this is an interesting test. You Google transparency and, and uh You'll get all these articles, and all these articles will talk about transparency as being the same as integrity. The reality is they're exactly the opposite. See, I want transparency. I want to be able to see what you're doing because I don't trust you to, to, uh, to do the right thing. And, and, and we've got to get away from this idea of transparency and back to integrity. We need – because the reality of transparency doesn't work. I can't watch you 24-7. So, so this whole idea – uh, how do we bring virtue back into the workplace? We do it by modeling godly principles and godly virtues in the workplace as we do our work. So, Hugh, when you talk about virtues, um, what comes under that umbrella? Well, quite a few things, actually. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, we're, we're called – it's interesting. The, the, the New Testament calls us to something called fruitfulness, right? And, and I think often we really don't kind of think through what that means. But if you really look at the scriptures, Paul often about it. It's talked about. Jesus talks about it. Um, but what Paul said is that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the kind of virtues we need to bring back to the workplace. You know, and, and obviously integrities in that, uh, um, honesty, all these things that, that make us good employees, right, um, is, is what we need to do. Because that has slowly leaked away from the, um, from the marketplace. I have a friend that wrote a book recently uh, called uh, Capitalism Redeemed, and he says one of the problems about capitalism today is that we've taken the virtue out of it. And so today we have what he calls postmodern capitalism. So it's capitalism that's completely unmoored from any kind of restraint or any kind of uh, virtue whatsoever. And when you see that, there's no wonder so many people, are, are, you know, and, and particularly in the political uh, arena that we have, are talking about going to socialism, going to another system of government, and going away from capitalism because it's become so corrupt. It's become so corrupt because. I think Christians have to take some blame for this. We haven't been salt and light in the marketplace like we were called to be, like we're supposed to be. 
That's a that's hard to hear because we we do have our, our own responsibility for bringing these this excellence to the workplace and virtue and integrity and honesty and um, the fallen world in which we live and work is hard and sometimes people are instructed to say in this business this is how this works and you cut this corner in that corner and you know a lot of people have got a lot of challenges every day and at that point you really have to decide right is it important for me to be honest and forthright and do the right thing or not i mean and these are decisions that uh christians are having to make every day and right. they're difficult and they really are difficult but right. we really i think have to lean toward doing the right thing um because that's what we're called to do. And the right thing is fairly well spelled out in the scripture. One of the problems today is that we live in a place and a time where everybody tries to, to tell everybody everything's relative, right? There's no real truth. So if I tell you to, 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 to fudge this and tell this client a lie, you know, it's not really a lie because it's just the way things are and everything, you know. And as Christians, we have to reject that kind of thinking. Although it is so strong in the culture today, because we are called to live our lives based on truths that are laid out in Scripture. And mm-hmm. those truths are definite truths. Yeah. And, you know, there is such a thing as truth and, and such a thing as a non-truth. And, and the Scripture tells us very clearly what those are. And that's what's supposed to build the framework that we live our lives in, not what the culture, you know, whatever— passing for cultural truth today, and it's not much. Yeah. Yeah, Hugh Welchel is my guest. I'm going to take a little break, and when I come back, I hope he'll still be on the line. And when when we do get back, I'm going to talk to him about um, a life of fruitfulness. What what does that look like, and and how do we live that out? Well, we'll take a short break and be right back. my guest on our studio line. He's the executive director of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. And Hugh, I want to talk about um, called to a life of fruitfulness. Isn't that what we all want? We want to thrive. That's right. We, we, we want to be successful. We want to thrive. And we also want to sense that what we're doing makes a difference and that what we do is important, not only to us, but to others, but also to God. So let's talk about some of the uh, things that we can focus on, um, this, the six M's for fruitfulness. I think we've got time for that. Okay, well, let me, let me let, set it up real quick. Um, I was in England uh, last month uh, for a couple of weeks doing some study there, and I got to meet with Mark uh, Green, who runs uh, a, a group called the um, uh, it's LCCI. It's the London Institute for Contemporary Christians, which was actually started by John Stott uh, before he went to go be with the Lord. And, and he's come up with something he calls the six um, um, marks of, of fruitfulness, or the six M's. And here's what they are really quickly. First one is modeling godly character. The second was making good work. The third one is ministering grace and love. The fourth one, molding culture. The fifth one, mouthpiece for justice and truth. And the last one is the messenger of the gospel. 
And what he says is that as we go, particularly as we go to work Monday and through Friday, we have an incredible opportunity to do these and kind of use these six M's uh, in our work to really um, to develop fruitfulness in our own lives. And, and he starts out by talking about this. He always starts out with the passage where Jesus says uh, that he's the vine and we're the branches. And he says the only way we'll ever bear fruit, Jesus says this, is if we're in him. So the starting place for fruitfulness is being in Christ. And then out of that, he says that before uh, what he calls uh, M's uh, of fruitfulness are, are really kind of a framework that you can kind of keep in your mind as you go through your work and look for opportunities to do these type of things. And one of the uh, chapters I love, and I think that there's a nice reflection of, of fruitfulness, is in Psalm 1, which is such a powerful psalm. Yes, absolutely. And it goes on to say, Blessed is the one who delight." whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What a powerful psalm to start every day with. And what a beautiful picture of the way we're supposed to be in the marketplace. Oh, isn't that the truth? And and I think the 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 work that we have to do every day is to get our mind and heart equipped to go out into the workplace and be to be ready to take this on. Because I think if we if we don't pay attention to it, Hugh, we'll just show up and do our job. That's right, and that's unfortunately what we do most of the time. And either we just get so caught up in doing it, we don't remember the bigger picture, or we've not really thought about that big picture of who we are supposed to be doing. Uh, what we're supposed to be doing at work and who we're supposed to be doing it for. I love the second one which talks about, you know, making good work. And, and what he says by that is, you know, there's a dignity and a value uh, in our work. It's interesting, even even in secular circles, they begin to realize this is true. Uh, one of the failures of um, the whole welfare system is we've just given people money. And, and yet um, these people need dignity just like all of us. And dignity comes from doing work. It's, it's part of God's master design it is that we receive dignity by doing things that produce uh, flourishing. And and that's, like I say, it's part of God's design. It's the way things are supposed to be. And, and when we put the systems together that deprive people of that, it robs them of, who, of being who God intended them to be. So I think this idea that there's dignity and value in everyday tasks it's just absolutely incredible. Let me tell you a quick story. I was at, uh, at a conference I did in uh, Missoula, Montana, and uh, talked about faith and work and a lot of some of the things we've talked about. And at, after it was over, I actually was preaching in a church, and a guy comes up to me and says, I was at your conference. He said, I was very impressed. He said, let me tell you about myself. He says, I'm 55 years old. I wash dishes for a living. He said, I became a Christian about 10 years ago, and I thought the best that I could do at work was occasionally witness to somebody about my faith. He says, but I'm back in the back where it's hot and, and it's steamy. And he says, no one comes back there unless they absolutely have to. But he said, but what you're telling me is that every dish I wash, if I do it to the glory of God, somehow in ways I don't completely understand, that work connects with something else someone else does, and that work connects with something else someone else does. And, and the totality of it brings flourishing to my community. 
And he had tears running down his face. And he said, and that makes all the difference. Mm. And I said, that's exactly right. right? So, so this idea of, of work being uh, uh, attached to dignity is something we should never lose sight of it because it's part of God's grand design. Hugh, how are we doing in the affirmation department? As employers, we probably could all do better affirming people in their daily jobs. Absolutely, we could. In fact, uh, I would, I would, you know, encourage employers that are listening uh, this afternoon uh, to, to go out of your way to tell people they've done a good job. Actually, it's just not important. You know, when was the last time you you were in McDonald's or? or someplace like that, and you saw someone cleaning up and you said something kind to them about, wow, you did a good job in here. This looks great or, or something like that. And because you watch them, and when you do it, their whole countenance will change. It's really quite amazing because, once, once again, you, by giving them that affirmation, you are affirming the dignity of their work. You know, and I think... Uh, you think you're doing it for them, but really it'll come around and bless you in a big way. Uh, I was well, at, a, I, I was at a, yeah. a roadside gas station on the road. I was traveling and pulled into this gas station to use the men's room, and there was a man in there cleaning, and, and I said to him on the way out, I said, thank you for the spectacular job you have done making this men's room so clean, and, and, and just you did a great job. And he paused, and he looked at me and said, oh, my, thank you. No one's ever said that to me. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. It's truly amazing. And, you know, I, I could say that I was trying to bless him, but really, he blessed me. Yeah. You know? well, and, that's, and that's the counterintuitiveness of, of, of a Christian life. Uh, one of my favorite passages is Jeremiah 29, 7. It says, work for the peace and prosperity of the city that have called you into exile, because if it flourishes you too will flourish, right? We all want to flourish, but the secret to find flourishing for yourself is first to find it for others. And and that's such an incredible truth uh, that we need to really uh, understand and, and adapt in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. And the London Institute for Contemporary Christian, the um, place that you were at, has this great line, with Christ, there is no ordinary. With Christ, right. every encounter, every task, every situation brims with divine possibility. I love that because it so captures what they're doing, but it also really leads us into what we should be doing, right? Understanding that there are no ordinary conversations, that every conversation you have with someone, no matter who it might be, is an opportunity to bring glory to God to serve the common good, to further his kingdom in this time and this place, which is what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Hugh, is there any uh, little tips you can give us? I mean, should we write all this down on a three-by-five card and have it on our desk, or <laughs> should we put it on the shaving mirror, or what, what should we do? I mean, we, we want to model godly character. We want to make good work. We want to minister grace and love. Um, we want to mold the culture. We want to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice right. and be a messenger of the gospel. That's not a bad idea to write it down, but I think one of the things that, that we try to do at the Institute, we, we do a, a blog that we send out every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, and, and, and we, we write about these kind of things just to encourage people. To, you know, the beginning of your day, to sit down and take a minute or two and think, okay, what am I going to do today? Not what jobs am I going to do, but you know, what, what, how am I going to live this, this day out? 
And I think that's really important to start each day with kind of a good thought in your mind like that. So whether you write these things down and read them over every day before you go to work or if you, uh, if you read one of our blogs or you read a, some kind of devotion every morning, I think that's a very uh, good thing to kind of get you started on the right step uh, as you get ready to leave the house and, and head to work. And work's a big deal, Hugh, because we spend a lot of our life doing it. We do. And it's a great calling. And it, like I said, it's an incredible opportunity to do exactly what God wants us to do. Yeah. Hugh, it's always uh, uh, inspiring to talk to you. You've always got lots of energy for this topic, and it's always a little bit of a challenging one because there's so many people that are struggling in their careers or they don't like their jobs and they wish they were doing something else. And and you always sort of uh, pump uh, new enthusiasm into the, the whole idea that God gave us work to do and we can bring glory to his name and whatever we do. Amen. 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 Well, have a great weekend and get that garage built. <laughs> Thanks, Bo. Appreciate it. Yep. We'll see you later. Hugh Welch has been my guest, the executive director for the Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics. If you wanted to go to that website and check it out, it's tifwe.org. Tifwe, T-I-F-W-E.org. We'll take a little break, and then hour two's right around the corner. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.